0: tell you how the world is wrong the world is wrong about mad dog time the paper boy
1: the world is wrong is an extremely positive podcast where andros jones and brian Connolly champion films the world is wrong about Available on Paperhouse Network, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>
2: hey, I'm Muhammad Seven. You're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones.
3: Welcome to Radio 8 Ball. Step up and give us a shake. We're here in your ear. This could be our year, the year of tempting fate. Wherever you are, perhaps in your car, your questions are put to song. Embrace your fate. There's no escape. Perhaps you'll sing along. Randomly or aligned with an order beyond all mortal kin Surrender all will to the warp and the woof of our gentle and good friend Synchronicity Synchronicity And now It's time For the Radio 8 Ball Show
1: Welcome to the Radio 8-Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8-Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Appening.
3: Appening. 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 Appening
1: where we are engaging the Pop Oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app. If you're an iPhone user, it's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen Pop Oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Chris Sand asked...
4: Does it make sense for me to move to Hawaii this year to celebrate my 50th birthday? Hawaii
1: 5-0. And received as his randomly chosen answer, Monster. Recorded live on March 7th, 2006 on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS and Olympia by the band God Goes to Denver... Seeking love.
4: Followed by a monster named
5: as I wander around
1: my town. This week's guest on Radio Eight Ball is Mohammed Seven, who I used to know as Nima. When I got him on the phone, he was a little bit confused about the process by which he was chosen as guest.
2: Can I ask you a question? I couldn't figure this out. So Chris said something like he got to choose the next guest or recommend the next guest or whatever because two, two songs got selected, the same song got selected twice in a row or something like that? But that didn't seem to come up
1: in that No, no. So episode. basically what happened, I asked a question. And got Sandman's song as an answer. So then I asked Sandman to be the guest on the next show. Then he oh, asked see. a question and he got God Goes to Denver Seeking Love as his answer. But I don't know uh-huh. who those people are. So I like. <laughs> if I don't if that person's not available, then I ask the person whose quest whose song answered the bonus question, which is just on the Patreon feed. On nice. that episode, I asked a question and I got a Sandman song as an answer. Uh, nah, three nineteen Joe as the answer yeah so yeah, yeah. then it was like well i don't know like i could ask sandman to come back but then we decided the next thing that i suggest is when that happens that the guest who would be picked gets to pick someone else i nice. got it thank you thank and you that made me get up to date on your music which was really great today so yeah sweet this is a great episode and It ends up going into some territory based upon Muhammad's personal experience with me that I feel is worth giving some context to. I won't spoil the revelations of our conversation, but at one point, we ended up discussing my mental health as being a strength I possess when it comes to my confidence as an artist and as a performer. In the episode, I credit my dream psychologist father, Richard M. Jones, with cultivating this confidence in me at a young age. As synchronicity would have it, as I was editing and ruminating on this episode, I saw that the long-awaited cinematic adaptation of The Trial of the Chicago 7 was being released this week. Writer-director Aaron Sorkin does about as good a job as you could expect from a Hollywood movie capturing the story of the U.S. government's attempt to charge a disparate group of activists, including Tom Hayden and Rennie Davis of the Students for a Democratic Society, or SDS, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin of the Youth International Party, or Yippies, Bobby Seale of the Black Panthers and activists David Dallinger, John Freuns, and Lee Weiner with conspiring to start a riot at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, 1968. I definitely recommend the film, and I encourage anyone who is interested in knowing more about the events it covers to seek out documentaries and books on the actual events, As good a movie as it is, no movie can tell the whole truth about anything as complex as the anti-war movement in the 1960s and the U.S. government's overzealous overreaction to it. One thing I appreciated that the film did really well was its depiction of Abby Hoffman, who I discussed at length in my conversation with Pat Thomas when he was on Radio 8 Ball several months ago
3: people like Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin were so recognizable over like a three or four year period that they might be just cruising through Grange Village, let's say 1971. And some redneck just comes up and punches them in the face. Right. Because they anti, you know, they think those guys are anti-American. Second of all, you know, the Chicago eight trial, you know, the government was trying to put these guys away forever. And so it's stressful to be a, a, quote-unquote anti-American revolutionary, even it's though a, in my mind... It's,
1: it's, stressful, now. it's, it's stressful. stressful now. It's still stressful.
3: Yeah, it's still stressful. Exactly. Try, okay.
1: try criticizing anything that Joe Biden says without being called a Trump supporter. Right,
3: right. Exa- exactly. So, you know, it the 60s took a toll on these guys, okay? And for Abby in particular, you know, the problem with the 1980s for Abby, and I used to follow him around a little bit on college campuses, you know, the war was long over, uh, you know, basic civil rights had been won. There was obviously no draft. And so college kids in the 1980s were apathetic and no surprise. There wasn't, other than Reagan or whatever, there wasn't too much to be pissed off about. And so Abby was depressed. You know, he had, you know, I kind of, the way I describe Abby Hoffman or, or even Ruben, it's like having a major label record deal selling tons of records, getting dropped by your label, and now you're playing casinos rather than football stadiums.
1: My affinity for Abby Hoffman goes back a long way. I read his books when I was in high school, and I interviewed him for my high school paper when I ran into him at an anti-nuke rally in Boston on the Boston Common in 1984. But it goes back even further than that, because my father was... Abby Hoffman's psychological counselor and professor at Brandeis, when Abby was attending college there in the late 50s. In the film, Hoffman, played wonderfully by Sasha Baron Cohen, brags of his time at Brandeis just as, in my childhood, I remember my father speaking with pride of his work with Abby, who was, as far as I know, his most famous client. I suppose it was based upon this that I, in my child's mind, decided Abby Hoffman was an exemplar of mental health, as defined by my father, who was something of an expert on the topic, and who obviously held an oversized place in my view of the world, as fathers often do for their young children. I seriously doubt that many other people view Abby the way I do. He was best known as a kind of clown prince and provocateur by those who respected him and as a rude and disgusting traitor by those who didn't. But I don't think anyone else ever grew up thinking of him as the most mentally healthy man in America, which is kind of how I've always viewed him. Perhaps this is why I still refuse to accept his suicide in 1989 at face value. I'm not saying that suicide is proof of mental weakness or disease, but neither am I saying that a determination of suicide is necessarily to be believed when its target is a radical activist who pissed off a lot of people in a life devoted not only to justice, but to mocking injustice. I'm happy to report that Sorkin's and Baron Cohen's rendering of Hoffman on film hues much closer to the way I have always seen him than any reporting on or previous depictions of Abby that I have seen on film and in media. My already strong respect for both these artists has only grown after seeing this film, although I wonder if those who are more closely aligned with Hoffman's partner in Revolution. Jerry Rubin, may feel differently as Rubin is portrayed as something of a stoned buffoon by Jeremy Strong in the film. For more on Jerry Rubin, I recommend checking out Pat Thomas's book Did It? From Yippie to Yuppie, Jerry Rubin, An American Revolutionary. And also check out Pat's appearance on Radio 8 Ball in a previous episode, and I will provide the link in the show notes to hear him talk about Mostly Abby Hoffman. Now, if you are a follower of Radio 8 Ball, that means that in some abstract sense, you are also a tangential student of my father's, since his educational philosophy informs this format. This makes you, in an even more abstract sense, fellow classmates with Abby Hoffman in a class in which we are all clowns, or fools, if you find the word clown to be distasteful. Another name for this archetype, if we choose to enlist the wisdom of the original people of this land, is Coyote. Coyote teaches his lessons by acting the fool and often dying in the process, either literally or figuratively. And that's pretty much what I try to do in every episode of this show and in most of the projects that inspire me. Not to literally die, but to have a little coyote death in every episode, as well as a whole lot of chaotic coyote life, which I think perfectly describes Abby Hoffman. Anyway, this is most certainly the case with this episode, and I hope it inspires you to do a little metaphorical dying and living of your own. If you are inspired by Radio 8 Ball and you'd like to support what we do, well, you know, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. That's it. Just tell your friends what we do here. If you have one friend who you share a synchronicity with, you know, bring this up. Maybe if you've already downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app, offer to do a musical divination together and uh, conduct a reading using the app like we do here on the show. You can also help people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball Positively on Apple Podcasts, and most importantly for your experience of the show, the half of the show where I ask my question to the Pop Oracle is available to our Patreon subscribers for just $1 a month. That's cheap enough that I know it can't be the money that's keeping you from buying in. Therefore, I can only imagine... It's a psychological block. Uh, As you'll hear in this episode, I too have a psychological block that gets explored in this podcast, and I know that just naming it as such isn't a magical key to transcending it. I just hope that my willingness to look at my own blocks inspires you to look honestly at yours, and if this somehow leads to your joining our Patreon campaign, and getting to enjoy the backstage shenanigans around my pop oracle questions. Well, I think that might be a win-win situation. Sorry, (laughs) I shouldn't do voices. Oh, and if you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app. So you'll get our episodes as soon as they are released. Before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the Pop Oracle Song of the Day from the day I had my conversation with Muhammad Seven on October 13th, 2020. The song is Piggy Pile from the Wet Spots, recorded live on Radio 8 Ball on Alternative Pop, 1150 AM in Seattle on October 31st. 2008
4: all right this song requires a touch of explanation we use a term in it that I think is a Canadian term in Canada or it may just be something that our friend mr. Quigley made up in Canada we use the term piggy pile sometimes when we're talking about a cuddle puddle, or an orgy for anyone over 40. So when we say Piggy Pile in this song, we're referring to an orgy. I don't know if that answers your question right there. (laughs) One, two, one, two,
5: three.
4: It's time to soundproof all the walls Give our special friends a call Lord, and warn the neighbors down the hall There's gonna be a piggy pile It's time to lay some plastic down Spread the Crisco all around Honey, send the kitties out of town There's gonna be a piggy pile sex toys on the sofa, and there's condoms by the door. The purple pills are on the windowsill, and the host is rolling on the floor. All the girls are wet and wiggly, and all the boys are ripe and wiggly. Everybody's greased and giggly in the middle of the pig air pile. <laughs> Leave your trousers on the chair Woo! Dig those sexy underwear. Or say, who does your pubic hair? You're styling up the piggy pile Well, listen up, honey, you're in luck Cause you can either make it with Sue or Chuck Everybody's gonna find a friend down at the piggy pile There's room for everybody, and there's no need to be shy. It's a potluck party for the very naughty, so grab a big piece of your favorite pie. All the girls are wet and wiggly, and all the boys are ripe and wriggly. Guess where I found Mr. Quigley at the bottom of the piggy pile. All the boys are getting kinky and all the girls are hot and stinky. Just for fun, I dropped a twinkie. In the middle of the piggy pile. Well, it really doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, roll out for the erotic anatomic tour. It's been five days, we still want more. Welcome to the piggy pile. Welcome to the piggy pile. Well, it's been five days in a sweaty haze. And we're still crazy about the piggy
1: and here we are on october 13th 2020 talking to a man who i am getting to know as muhammad seven Coming in for our friend Chris Sand and a man who I know knew, knew under another name in another life. Welcome <laughs> to Radio Eight Ball, Mister Seven.
2: Thank you, Andre.
1: Yes, we got to know each other in Olympia, Washington, but you are now in Boston, Massachusetts, or are you in Boston or in the surrounding area?
2: No, I'm in Boston. I'm in Dorchester.
1: Okay. Uh, almost, almost hit the Boston accent there. There was a little bit of the Boston on the door, but you got a full Chester on the end. There was no (laughs) Chester.
2: Yeah, I got a real mixed up accent for sure.
1: Yeah, so I guess since you're here on behalf of Chris Sand, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you know Chris and what your relationship is to him since he suggested you as his alternate for this episode.
2: Yeah, so I know Sandman through my wife, Amanda, who uh, went to Evergreen in Olympia and met Chris in Olympia, Washington, where uh, where you know Chris from, where you know me from, as you mentioned. And um, so Amanda moved to Boston to do something called AmeriCorps, the Domestic Peace Corps, uh, for those who don't know. And um, I, I met her here. We started dating, fell in love, and uh, then she moved back to Uh, Olympia to finish her degree and I told her I was going to move there and she said don't move here and I said you can't tell me what to do (laughs) and uh, so I did move there and uh, 20 years later we've been uh, together for 20 years and anyway she was friends with Chris. I met Chris through her and um, like you at this point I've now toured with him and you know been been real real close friends. we talk most days. So, it's a nice
1: relationship. Really, you talk almost every day? We do.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's um he's my best friend.
1: Wow. That's uh that's great. You know, I mean, I feel like I talk to Chris a lot, but every day. That's that's yeah. that's a commitment to friendship. So,
5: yeah. Well, well you, you know, certainly uh,
1: can speak to you picked the right guy because you could probably it's almost like having Chris here, if you're that wound up in each other's psyches. <laughs> it's
2: kind of true. See, the thing is also, some, from my work, I am uh, like the custodian of a ground, like a public park. So I spend almost my whole day alone. I have a lot of opportunities to you know, talk on the phone while I do my work. So that, that makes our, our daily call pretty easy on my end.
1: What, uh, do you mind telling us what park you are the custodian of? Like what, what <laughs> describing the situation?
2: Yeah, I'm a gardener and uh, the shop steward at the Arnold Arboretum of Harvard University, 280-acre arboretum in Jamaica Plain in Boston.
1: Wow. Nice.
2: Mm -hmm. 13 years.
1: Yeah. Would you say that you have a green thumb?
2: I would not. I'm the only person with no horticultural background on a team of horticulturists. Um, So I would say that I know almost nothing about plants.
1: Well, I think you're probably just being humble. They wouldn't keep you around for 13 years if you were killing all the every plant you touched.
2: Oh, no, I'm serious. I don't touch plants. That's the thing. I handle garbage. Um, <laughs> like, I pick up the garbage. Uh, I repairs. I build and rebuild the benches. Graffiti. And I'm also, so the shop steward is sort of the liaison to the union on the crew. My background's in labor history and social movements. So I'm actually perfectly uh, situated from my job as the... As the union steward, which is a completely unpaid job, so basically I am qualified for the job I don't get paid for, and unqualified for the job that I do get paid for.
1: That's that sounds uh, that sounds strangely perfect.
2: It it is for my life. It's it's about right for my life.
1: In a very different way, I feel like my life is set up similarly, like.
2: Huh. How's that?
1: Oh, well, I don't want to go. Like, just like it's just full of paradoxes. Like I can do this thing because of this other thing, but this other thing doesn't even really make sense. Like you could never reverse engineer my life or it's not like for Uh you. It's like you couldn't, (laughs) you have to just sort of like, I guess if you're walking a true path, then you find eventually find yourself in this place of paradox where if it all works, it all works in a way that is so organic to your life that it's not like you could someone you could say, well, if you want to set up yourself so that you could do this, you should right become a. You should work in an arboretum, picking up trash. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, I love it. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of improv, like yes and. Yeah. Like living the life of yes and. You just Absolutely. Keep, you know, keep saying yes, and then try to have that lead you someplace that you know that's good for you. You wind up with a bunch of, <laughs> you know, you wind up with a good life, I think, in the end, right? You wind up having said yes to a lot of things. And some of those things, maybe you got burned from saying yes to, but you wouldn't have gotten a, all the all the beauty of it if you hadn't.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, I, I 100% agree. You're, you're a, an ideal uh, participant in Radio 8 Ball <laughs> because we are a fully yes and... Well, at its best, we're a yes-and uh, practice. So let's talk. So that's uh, that's your day job
5: mm-hmm.
1: and your, I guess, day calling as the shop steward. But right. you're also a musician performing as Muhammad Seven and The Spring. Yes. And we're going to play some of your music going out at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But usually, when we have a guest on, at least during our uh, third season, uh, the the happening, uh, we're pretty much talking with people who have been on the show before and performed their music. So there's not much call to like, say, "Hey, what are you up to?" Like, tell us a little about a little about about what you're doing. But right. since you're not here to perform, and you're and and you are a musical performer, and I'd love to have you as a guest performing songs. On the show, maybe if I ever make it back to Massachusetts to record some episodes, be great. But uh, yeah, so this—I'm listening to this record, which is called—is it just called Muhammad Seven in the Spring?
2: It's self-titled. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's such an—it's so uh, so beautifully produced and so well written. I'm so—I'm really kind of blown away by it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the background of this record? I, I'll provide the link to check it out. You can find it on Spotify. I highly recommend it. It's it's a, It starts out weirdly unassuming, but once you get into the meat of it, it's an overwhelming work. It really is. Uh, I'm so impressed. It, that sounds condescending. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, just, no, I'm blown it, away. No, no, it
2: really doesn't, actually. I'm, uh, I'm humbled and, and touched. Thank you. Uh,
1: so, but uh so is this a who's in the band what's the story with muhammad seven in the spring
2: yeah so at present we're an americana five piece um another of my closest friends in 20 years is my lead guitar player um and then uh, i have a harmony vocalist who plays fiddle um uh, valerie sussman pat Moussari's on the lead guitars clark Goodpaster on drums uh and uh, jose downs on bass so um you know, we're sort of a rock and roll setup, an Americana band. Uh, the album you're listening to, which we made about two years ago, we were a three piece at that point. I had a different harmony vocalist, Kelly Joe Reed, uh, a beloved friend. And, uh, and Pat, at that point, my lead guitar player, was playing bass. So a lot of those artists uh, that you're hearing on the record are hired guns. Um, just in, in terrifically talented people, uh, mandolin and, and, and a banjo player from my favorite Boston band, Honeysuckle. I got really lucky with uh, the talent that I got on that album. But um, we had just gotten together that year and, you know, we could have made a stripped down sort of folk album with just harmonies and guitar and bass. But I wanted to get to show, you know, sort of a dress for the job that you want <laughs> situation. I, I, want, I wanted to show what I could do both as a stripped down folk act which some of those songs are are like that um, you know and as sort of a, a full-on uh, rock band and and the sort of poppier side there's a, a couple of songs that 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 straddle I think genres from country to folk to pop to to rock and blues so um, so the band's gone through that transformation and I did make one other album uh, my prior album was just as Muhammad said, Solo record uh, that I made entirely on my iPhone 6. Um, After getting married, having my son, I had it was actually just after touring with Chris 10 years ago. I had this wealth, basically, touring with him was a profound experience for me. And I had been a musician since I was 14, but at 30, when I toured with him, it just leveled up my confidence. You know, we played 30 shows from Boston to Spokane. And by show 15, I had really changed as a performer, as an artist, and believed in myself in a way that I had never been able to before. And, you know, being all those hours in the truck with him were like a masterclass for me uh, in songwriting and stage performance. So I had, my songs really leveled up from that experience and I really wanted to record them, but I was a new dad and there was no money, no time. So in the end, I made them on GarageBand for iOS um, almost all of it, studio instruments, and uh, was proud of it. And, you know, I got on um, PRI's The World with that album, which was way more attention than I, you know, had expected to get. And that amount of encouragement leveled my songwriting up like several rungs for me. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just writing stuff that I thought was better, I was writing stuff that I felt really proud of. So, what you're listening to on the album is the first round of material that, you know, that I ever really, I think, believed in in my life and felt like I could stand by. So I'm glad I spoke to you.
1: Yeah. And uh, I also know the the string arrangements are really beautiful on at least, uh, what is it, Sour Cherries? Is that the one sour one? Cherries, yeah. That's yeah. the great
2: Claire Claire Ghost of the band Paper Citizen, uh, arranging and playing the violin part.
1: <laughs> Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thank you. I, I Now, this is all, you know, this sort of, just first impressions, because I was really just listening to it today, and I, I I feel a little bit embarrassed that I haven't checked it out in the past, but I'll uh, I'll get over that and just talk about it as <laughs> I as it's coming at me. One thing that really struck me, uh, the in in the middle of this record, between Manifesto 79 Revelations and Sour Cherries, I almost had the feeling like I was, like it was a concept record. I could it, it, uh-huh. they really flow together, in a way. Particularly, seventy nine Revelations and Sour Cherries, where I was—I thought I was still listening to seventy nine Revelations when I was two thirds of the way into Sour Cherries, <laughs> and that's one of the things that I love. From people don't make albums as really in the same way that I—I I tried to or try to when I do, absolutely. and it's something that I really respect. Was that an intent? Was that intentional? Uh,
2: it was absolutely. I love that you picked up on that. Um, making an album that was an album was so important to me you know I mean it's like the generation that we grew up in and before so much of the way you related to music had to do with the context of each track in a work that was a communication of information and emotion uh, by the artist and I you know in this moment right now where you know for example my producer Colin Fleming who you mentioned the production which I agree is terrific he's Uh, So wonderful guy out of Berkeley, um, and a drummer. He did the drumming on that record as well. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought because I started talking about Colin. Uh, What was this? Oh, uh, the making it out. Yeah, Colin had had thought at first maybe we should just make an EP, and I just couldn't settle. I couldn't. I couldn't square. I couldn't. I couldn't accept the idea of making an EP. It's like it wasn't enough time to tell a story in my mind and that's what i wanted to do so glad you had that experience
1: yeah yeah i uh, i really hope people check this record out it's gorgeous and again like i said strangely unassuming like the first two you say it's like an americana record yeah and the first two or three songs i definitely felt like oh I'm, i could this could be a jackson brown record this is yeah great and but it didn't like i did it didn't maybe i'll go back to it now and i'll be like oh Okay, yeah, there's a lot more going on here than I thought, but it sort of it just crept up on me, and then I'm halfway into the record, and all of a sudden, the like just the imagery gets gets intense and personal. It's a really it's um, some sometimes songs they're just you know the lyrics feel like lyrics, and then sometimes they feel like someone is pouring themselves in uh, themselves into you in a very personal way, and you know, it, is that was that intentional with this record? And I'm so again, I really hope that you, if you're listening, that you'll check it out because we're talking about music you can't hear. Maybe I'll I'll try and drop some of it in as we're talking about it. But um, but was that intentional that do you start? You tried to start off sort of easy and then work people into the more storytelling aspect of the record or is that just the way i experienced it
2: it's a good question um not that was not exactly intentional song order really mattered to me that's definitely true and colin and i picked through you know 25 different songs to pick those 10 um but but uh but it's really cool to hear that you had that experience so the middle three songs that you're describing is interesting it's 79 Revelations, Manifesto, and Sour Cherries, those three in particular, Manifesto is a song that you'll play at the end of this episode, I think. And that's the song that, you know, people generally are are really enjoying our live show these days. It actually was really hard to get shut down by COVID because we had just hit that stride as a band. Where, you know, from the start, people were enjoying our shows and saying nice things, but we had just hit that stride where people would come up to us with a tone in their voice. Like, they had clearly felt like they had just been a part of something special. And that meant so much to us. And then right at that moment, basically, after a few of those shows, we we had to stop. But anyway, one of the shows that always... I'm sorry, one of the songs that always really hits people is my song Manifesto, which is a fight song. Um, and it's a fight song about being an immigrant. And oftentimes people, I've had people come up to me after, after the show and say, I, I, like, like this couple that I know came up to me one time, one of them said, I wanted to cry after that song. And the other one said, I wanted to scream after that song. And I started thinking, oh, maybe I should invite people to cry and scream during this song. Um, and so anyway, you know, come the middle of the album like you are talking about, uh, you know, the very first song is sort of a song about longing and heartbreak, loneliness, and the second song is about loss of homeland. And, and it, so it's true, I'm, I'm sort of starting with heavy issues, but I'm being more of a, a poet and a lover, I think, in the beginning. And then as you get to the middle, 79 Revelations is sort of about the way I see the world through the lens of the 1979 Iranian Revolution, you know, which in so many ways, you um, you know, dictated the, the conditions of my life. And then, you know, Manifesto, the fight song, and then Sour Cherries, which um, is a song about an Iranian family immigrating to Los Angeles uh, after. The... So anyway, it's then I get into, like, you're talking about the more specific imagery. And uh, yeah, so it's cool that you had that experience. Makes sense, though.
1: So uh, it'd be great if we were here to just to talk about your music. But we are here <laughs> to discuss Chris Sands' reading from last week. And it was a rich and potent reading. Uh, It was. He asked about whether he should move to Hawaii. He got this song, Monster, from uh, God Goes to Denver Seeking Love. A band who I don't know who they are. And I'm pretty sure they made up that name
3: in the studio. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So
1: even they aren't sure who they are. So... (laughs) Uh, I, I did. Uh, so I, I want to talk a little about that reading. One thing I wanted to sort of preface it with: there's another sort of uber synchronicity going on, in that the when Sandman was on the show last time, it was because in the previous show his song Lowercase Blues came up as the answer to my question. Right. And Lowercase Blues that version of it was recorded on uh, July 8th 2009
2: 789 Ah, interesting
1: And (laughs) you're Muhammad 7 (laughs) Uh-huh This is Radio (laughs) 8 Ball And then you have this song called 79 Revelations Uh, So there's just this 789 Oh, and then that whole lowercase blues led to a discussion about codes And so that's where my mind, I guess maybe that's where my mind is a little bit around all of this. Mm. And so we have, again, this repetition of seven, eight, seven, nine. I don't know. I don't know what it means, but I just wanted to throw it out there because I guess we take yes and even, uh, (laughs) even more literally. I say yes and to things I don't even understand yet. I say yes and first. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah and then s- just start a sentence it's like why are, what are you yes anding I don't know whatever you're gonna say next is what, what I'm yes anding so uh anyway what did you make of Chris sands reading uh, a- around that song monster
2: it was interesting your, your your conversation was interesting um I thought I thought his reading was spot on uh, basically he, I really liked that, that, that particular episode. Of course, he's been on your show many times. I think that was my favorite of his appearances. And I felt like he was a little more kind of raw and honest than he was quite able to be on uh, that last show. And, and was talking about, you know, basically his deep struggle um, as a person, as a man to, you know, the song, so Monster is a song about, literally, it's about a guy being chased by a monster who wants to escape to a safer, happier place, somehow. And, you know, Chris, the Chris's question was about, you know, feeling not safe in his skin in his home and wanting to go to, you know, probably the most beautiful place on Earth. I, I've been to Hawaii for a week, and when I was there, I was like, how does anybody live anywhere but here? This is so incredible. So, anyway, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I I thought I thought he was spot on in that he was reading it as a song about a man who's trying to escape. You know, the what in the song they call it the not the below the below what was it the down the down. Down, down the down down a, which a
1: monster called down down.
2: One of my favorite parts of the song that was that's gorgeous. So yeah, you know, I agree I agree that the down down is is you is is the part of you that scares you and yeah and i i I think it's true that in his life there's there's some element of of running from something and so i agreed so he had a kind of a negative read and you had more of a positive read and his read was sort of that the song was saying you know you're you're trying to escape from yourself but as you know you pointed out but whatever wherever you go there you are um And I I see how the song could have been speaking to that. I think the way that I then wanted to interpret it was that the song was, because I think there's two different possibilities. I think there is a possibility that, you know, out of whatever desperation or, you know, his confusion about his his own down down maybe, that he, you know, that he wants to escape to something better, but that might not be the the right battle. The right battle might be how does he find himself in himself where he is. So I think it would be very easy to interpret the song that way, but I but just in terms of my thoughts about whether or not he should now go to Hawaii for either a month or many months. You know, also some sometimes you got to say yes, right? And you know, it's like there's this a terrific friend he has there who has children, his daughter, covid is such an isolating time. It's like sometimes you throw caution to the wind and end up in a in a paradise with dear friends and it's the best decision you ever made so so i guess i felt like the song was reminding him of that piece of work that he needs to do regardless of the decision that he makes
1: yeah yeah we're in agreement on that i i th- yeah. the, the part that i think it got bogged down in and this happens is because he had one question that he want that he had two questions he wanted to ask, and he the one he asked was not the one that he kept in interpreting, the, right? The answer true. for, and right. as I said on that episode, particularly because he made that change influenced by something I had said before the show, I right. felt like I I wanted I, if it was someone in general I, I I'm. I'm very yes and to like yeah these answer uh, can answer multiple questions you could have write down eight questions I've done that for a show where I wrote down eight questions (laughs) and picked one of the eight that I was going to ask but then went through afterwards and been like well yeah but it answers this one in this way and it answers this one in this way and it answers you know so so there it's pretty infinite in terms of what you can do with it but I did think What did you well, I guess I wanted to ask you, what did you think about that conversation about is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Right. And that song Monster as the answer to that question. Because it's it's a different totally different reading. Same song, different reading.
2: It's funny. To me it wasn't a different reading because to me those are those two questions are two sides of the same question. Because so I think I think he is not misinterpreting, but to, to, to say that Trump, so sort of you could say, it, but for the second question, you might say that he's saying Trump is the monster that he's running from in some way. And I think, um, I think he's running from something, whether there's Trump or not, you know, like his struggle as a man, as an artist, as a person in this world, as a, as a raised poor Catholic man, um, You know, who has faced an attitude from the world his whole life that has said, you know, your life doesn't matter. Life of poor people doesn't matter, and um, and and he's so as a result, he's spent his life having to fight to prove to himself and maybe prove to the world that he does matter. And uh, I think he has proved to the world that he matters, but I think he still hasn't proved it to himself. And so I think Trump, as the monster, is sort of superimposed over the earlier monster and the ongoing monster. Of, of what he's running from. So to me, the, the question about should I go to Hawaii or not, it's, it's just the, the, the day side of the night question about Trump.
1: Got it. Cool, cool. I don't
2: know if that made sense.
1: Um, it makes, yeah, it makes sense and it's going to make more sense when I get, you know, I, I listen to these over and over so everything makes sense. Actually, it, it's, that's the crazy thing about this process. Like we say this stuff and we forget that we said it. And then, but it that's the great thing about recording is that it, the recording captures it exactly as it was in that moment with, yeah. and, and I mean this, like we could be the smartest, wisest, most knowledgeable, intelligent people doing this. And yet we are entirely ignorant of the, of the context of the moment that we're, well, I wouldn't say we're entirely, we're almost entirely ignorant of the context that this moment is happening in. We're distracted with each other and this, and maybe slightly aware of world events, but whatever else is happening right now, even in the buildings that we're in, if we're both on buildings, we're just totally ignorant to. But the thing about synchronicity is that we can be sure of is that this moment, it's like that William Blake thing of In a Grain of Sand, the whole, all, a whole, you know, multiple universes can exist in a grain of sand, just like that. In one of these readings, whatever we're doing here is reflecting that context. So when you ask me if I understand what what you said, I mean, even if I understood what you said, I still there's no way I could really understand what it is in context. And okay. I'm on, I'm partly saying this to you, and I'm also partly trying to say this. I was trying to remind the listeners. To the show that your listening is a participation, that uh-huh. by listening to this, you become a part of that context that we're ignorant of, but very honestly reflecting because of our ignorance. If you can, yes, and that you'll get a lot more out of the show. So uh let's let's move on here to the song of the day, which right. <laughs> is a great one. Uh, It's from a band that was on Radio 8 Ball, I think, a couple of times. Yeah, I think they were on a couple of times, and they are called The Wet Spots. They are a sex-positive cabaret duo from Vancouver, British Columbia, and their song was Piggy Pile. And... Piggy Pile was actually recorded on October 31st, 2008, Halloween, 2008, they were in Seattle to perform at a Halloween cabaret, and we got him as guests on our show on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, and that is the uh, Pop Oracle Song of the Day for today, 10 as opposed to 10-3-1, 10 2020, wow. 12 years later, and, uh, and some change. Or a little bit less than 12 years, right? Yeah. So uh, what did you make of that as, did you have any particular, I guess really the question is, did you have any particular synchronicities with that song around things that are happening for you today?
2: Um, I was really trying to find some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so wait, so are we gonna listen to the song and then comment on it some more or well it's it's playing it's
1: it, we i played it at the in, at the beginning of the show and i'll be playing it under this so it's go it's under us this under us as we're talking
2: very good so uh song about an orgy
6: yeah
2: uh and again sadly uh, <laughs> i did not <laughs> i was not really able to uh no to find any how about you
1: Uh, yeah, 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 I definitely, well, let me be clear, there's no particularly, there's no particular orgy going on in my life that I'm aware of. I mean, there's the sort of orgy of, I'm looking out my window and this in Olympia, the wind is whipping around and I have a window that I can see the trees sort of, so there's sort of an orgy of activity in nature but uh, personally, you know, no, nobody's laying down the, the plastic and the Crisco. Uh, <laughs> my,
2: my favorite line was, uh, I dropped a Twinkie in the middle of the piggy pile. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's fantastic.
1: Um, but I do think it's interesting that as we are speaking, they are conducting hearings in Congress with Amy Coney Barrett who may who Trump has nominated to be the next Supreme Court justice yeah. and which would flip the court to a right-wing majority and supposedly I don't want to say I don't want to say supposedly uh we said supposedly about everything that we don't know for a fact, and we just read in the news, then we couldn't believe anything. Which, right? Is, but let's. She comes from a conservative background and a and a very uh, conservative Christian, a a, a very uh, conservative Christian sect of that of Christianity and of the right wing, and something like piggy pile. I guess it makes you see how that a song like Piggy Pile and Sex Positivity isn't just a frivolous uh, entertainment, but that it is a revolutionary act. And if you sort of compare what they're talking about, this very positive Piggy Pile uh, that the Wet Spots are singing about, compare that to the orgy of hypocrisy and deceit that is on display in Washington, D.C., Yep. in opposition to the sort of the most can we say sacred uh aspect of humanity and sexuality which is the is the is re, is recreation and the the power of birth and regeneration yeah. and who holds that power oh god yeah um it yeah i just felt like this song is such a I don't know a stark uh, rebuttal to what's going on in the culture at large and so that I like that take me yeah
2: yeah yeah I like that take and actually you've reminded me that there was an orgy in my day Uh, in the form of a podcast another podcast Called Bunga Bunga. Is this on your radar?
1: Oh, the wait, the Because <laughs> <laughs> Bunga Bunga is an or—that's the Italian orgies, right?
2: Yeah. So actually, so Chris and I—he texted me this morning. Today, episode, final episode eight is out. I got him into this. So about Italian, former Italian prime minister uh, Silvio Berlusconi, who um, and, and Bunga Bunga was his code word for the orgies that happened yeah. at his giant estate. And, and so what's so interesting, though, is because you were talking about Amy Coney Barrett and Donald Trump and in the United States, I think uh, it seemed has seemed a little bit like he is this singular figure. But of course, there's Boris Johnson in Britain, who in so many ways is the British Donald Trump. I mean, just the caricature and an actor and a master manipulator in his own right. And but even more similar to Trump is, it turns out, Silvio Berlusconi. Oh, and, yeah. And. Uh, and, 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 you know, Donald Trump's, I mean, Donald Trump, I suppose, has his literal orgies as well, but but maybe more compelling, his metaphorical, uh, political uh, orgies of devastation. Uh, but then Silvio Berlusconi has both, including the, the very literal Bunga Bunga orgies. So, yeah, there's that too.
1: Wait, so you were on the Bunga Bunga podcast? <laughs> no, I wish I was. You were uh, listening Clinton to Cummings. it. I, yeah, I've just been listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So. Was in like, my life in that was like, are you, you're not... Wait a second! This is getting interesting. You're not only a non-gardener working in an arboretum and who, and per, performing as a musician, but you're also an expert on Silvio Berlusconi.
2: Amateur expert on Berlusconi. Let's
1: say. You, don't leave. Hey, did, you know this is. I, I think this is the thing that, um, again, piggy pile. It takes many to piggy pile. It takes <laughs> many to have a glow, a, a sort of. Uh, a global right-wing movement right. is not something that happens in a vacuum or accidentally, and we have right. it in Brazil, and we have it in the UK, and we have it in Russia, and we have it in China, and we have it in Saudi Arabia, and we have it in America. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a piggy pile.
2: Nicely said. Right. Fascism, the new piggy pile.
1: Yeah. At all the little piggies
2: oh and then there's that
1: playing in the yeah. so uh yeah yeah who knew who knew when you when we played this song at the beginning of this episode and you heard that and you i'm talking to the listeners there if you're you were you listen to this and you're like ah, ah, ah what are they going to make of this it's going to be a bunch of dirty jokes you had no idea that no. within that seemingly frivolous song contains the seeds of both our revolution and our imprisonment. Think about it, folks.
2: Oh, got me fired up.
1: So, uh, well, I hope we're, we got you fired up because it is now time for you, Muhammad Seven, to approach the Pop Oracle. This is the first time we've had you. It's, I'm so embarrassed that we have not had you on the show before, but that's something we're going to correct. But this is your first time on the show, ask, asking a question to the Pop Oracle, and I can't wait to hear what it is. Do you have the Radio 8 Ball app at the ready?
2: Um, I do have it. Let me open it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's such good comedy. I think I'm just going to leave it in.
2: <laughs>
1: Sorry. I. Uh,
2: no, that was great.
1: To... <laughs> that was great comedy.
2: I, but I have to mention that I have not been on the show before. But I've been to several live Radio 8 Balls, and I did ask a question in Seattle on stage.
1: Oh, yeah. Many years ago. Okay, well, before we then let's talk about this. Before we get to asking your question, tell us what was that? Remind me what, what that experience was. What show was that? Who was the guest? What was your question? What do you remember from it?
2: I forget the name of the woman who was the guest. She was wonderful. I do remember that that was the episode that you Skyped in Weird Al Yankovic.
1: Oh, that was with Tracy Bonham. And that was a great episode that sadly we didn't get recorded. So bon- You're
2: absolutely right, Tracy Bonham. Oh, that that is too bad. It was a lot of fun. And then also, I don't know if you remember this, when you were doing Ego in the Oracle, I came to one of those. And then when you came back to pro- to protest Ego in the Oracle, I went out and flyered with you. I don't know if you
1: remember. I do remember that.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, that was a... Uh, those were dark days...
2: Yeah, sorry, sorry to, to remind. No, you no, you know what? Times, I'm you
1: know what? I remember that now that you're telling me that, and it's really good. It's great contradiction, if you will, because mm-hmm. my memory of that time is of being of being of and feeling so alone and shut out and isolated, and kind of in shock that you painting yourself back into the memory. Like, as soon as you said it, I remembered it. But it hasn't been, like, I haven't walked away from this telling myself the story of, like, wow, it was great how, and I'm going to use your name that you were at the time, it was great how Nima showed up and had my back because the story I've been telling myself about that time is fuck those guys and what, you know, I can't believe they did that to me. And right. that was so embarrassing, and I can't believe I did that. And, uh, you know, that I, uh, when we say I did that, I went and protested. So I guess we should tell the story. So I did the ego, this, I'm going to back up here, because this is a heck of a story. You just help, but I, I should let the listeners in on it.
7: I got a question for the oracle. Why did the ego steal the oracle? Yeah, I got a question, a serious, sincere question. Why did the ego steal the oracle? She ain't mine, but she sure ain't his. And Big Jim's giving me the biz. Why did the ego steal the oracle? I'm making something out of nothing, it's true, I guess that's what a wounded poet's gonna do to you, if there's something that I want you to know, i just put on a little show for you, and if there's gotta be a fight. I'm gonna cry like a baby Gonna cry like a baby And with all my mind. Cause if there's gotta be a fight I know that I gotta beat you But I'd so much rather meet you In a better life. If there's gotta be a fight We're better than this We're better than this
1: getting... Yeah So... I was doing Radio 8 Ball on KAOS and Olympia for about 10 years. And during that time, a band called Jim's Big Ego from Boston came and was... uh, I knew them from Boston and they came through Olympia and I had them as guests on the show. And on the show, they were like, wow, this is great. You know, this is a fantastic format. And maybe we could do something together. I was like, yeah. And then afterwards, I talked with... uh, Jim Infantino, who is the leader of the band, he's a brilliant guy, someone I was a big fan of. And he was like, you, we should, we should, we're looking at trying to develop a, a theatrical show and we think we should do this as a collaboration. Our music and your format, the Ego and the Oracle. And I thought that was great. And so we did that and we did it in Boston, three shows in Cambridge and then three shows in Seattle, and then I came back to do some shows in Boston with them, and they decided they didn't want to do it with me anymore, and they stopped, they they basically stole the format and tried to do it all on their own. And this brings us up, up to date in the story, then uh, when that happened, I was in Boston for the show, so I showed up for the show and I protested. I handed out flyers before saying that they stole, the ego stole the oracle. If you sometimes, you ever play with the Radio 8 Ball app, you might get a song that I wrote about that that's in there, and anyway, okay, now the audience is caught up to speed, and my story to myself about that time was I was so fucked over and alone and embarrassed about doing that, that I didn't remember, I mean, honestly... Correct. Were you the only one who was there with me or was, did anyone yeah. else? Yeah. So you don't remember the person who stood by. It's it's a, it's a really damning psychological, I mean, it makes sense. I would never blame someone for this if it was someone else, but it's yeah. hard not to blame myself for painting out the positives of a story like that, when that would be so good, more than being grateful to you. It would have, it would be so generous to my own psyche to right. remember the good part of that story. Yeah. <laughs> which That's I'm so right. grateful to you for reminding me, but even as grateful as I was for you to be there. And this time I will not forget because I recorded it. And so I will listen to this over and over again and I'll remember it. Uh so I, have a
2: cra- yeah. I have a crazy final bit of uh information <laughs> to tell you, which is that I actually, I wrote a song after that. I never told you called, ego stole the oracle really and it was mm-hmm. and it was you know this is still for me because i you know kind of blossomed as a songwriter relatively late this was in a period where my songwriting skills were not terrific so partly i never told you because i don't think it's a very good song but i did write a song about it and uh worked hard on the song i was uh, i was also moved by the experience both of how much i enjoyed before it had turned bad how much i enjoyed the ego and the oracle show and then uh you know just it was good to be good to be in uh, in league with you trying to take back you know what was stolen from you
1: yeah thank you so much for like i i'm i hope that like in the moment i was present even though i obviously i walked away from it really rattled but uh thank you you're welcome yeah yeah uh, and i'd love to hear that song and so that was a big detour i'm really glad wait so you so you uh, actually i want to dig in, into it a little bit more so you were it in the order of things it would have been that you were at the ego and the oracle show and then yes. you were at the ego and the oracle protest right and then you were at years later you would have been, like, 2010, probably. Exactly. You would have been in Seattle to see the episode we did with Tracy Bonham and where, where Weird Al Yankovic was the, was the guest. Do you remember what your question was? I don't. Oh. Was it a good experience, though?
2: It was great. I had a lot of fun.
1: That was a great show. I remember the women who were at that show were so emotional uh, about being around Tracy She had such Mm -hmm. a powerful effect on uh, some of the, I guess, women who had sort of grown up with her music. Sure. uh,
2: She was a powerhouse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, now let's get to your powerhouse of a question. Your (laughs) second time being on the Radio 8 Ball Show. First time being recorded for the Radio 8 Ball Show.
2: Okay. So I go ahead and tap Ask the Pop Oracle and then ask my question. How will I learn deep in my bones that the universe loves me more than it hates me?
1: And now, give it a shake. All right.
2: Here it is. What is it? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I got distracted listening to the song. It's uh, The Girl with the Denim Eyes by All Day Sucker.
1: Oh, yeah. That's great. I would be scared.
0: I would be terrified if I couldn't be near The Girl Girl with with the Denim Eyes I remember all my Mm -hmm. life First time I set eyes on you, you answered a prayer, you were serenity, I surrendered any hope of ever giving up on you, you had me right where, I never knew I could be, I would be scared, I would be Never do, but nothing can bend the bond I have forged with you. Fortune is a smile a day of your redemptive love, my way. When words bring me down, I rise on a bouncy tune. I would be scared. I would be dead. On I would be scared, and it would be just if I couldn't be near the girl with Eyes. I wouldn't dare, Uh-oh. I wouldn't stare if I that, I'd be with the girl with the a-
1: with the denim eyes from all day sucker recorded on radio eight ball at starburns industries in burbank california on september 13th 2017 not uh we're now this is again this is october 13th so this is the next we have a 31 and two 13s lining up uh, for you uh numbers uh, noticers and that was the answer to Muhammad Seven's question. Let me bring it up here. How will I learn that the universe loves me more than it hates me? And a profound question from a profound fella. Hmm. And what did you make of that? Uh, wh- what answer did you get out of that terrific song?
2: Wow. So first of all, that is a terrific song. I've never heard it. <laughs> Um, and what's interesting actually on first blush is, uh, the way that song made me feel felt like the answer to my question on its own. Yeah. The song song has such a, such a friendly confidence to it. And the question is about my deepest insecurity. Uh, and it's funny because the song is about, I guess literally the the narrative of the song is 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 a, is about you know, I'd be I would be scared, I would be terrified if I couldn't be near the girl with the denim eyes. It, it, it is this this character exploring at some level their own insecurity, but their their tone about it and their take on it is just seems so sort of fearless and uh, and natural.
1: Yeah, uh, I want to let you talk about it a little bit more because I know a lot about this band and about this song, so I have I have some information I'll share with you. But is there anything else for, that you took from it personally, as far as the answer to your question?
2: Yeah, um, I'll say a few more things. So, um, well, for, I'm really curious to know what it what what you think they mean by the girl with the denim eyes, because that. Is I really like that? It's sort of the it's the hook of the song, um, and I, I don't feel like I really understand what that means. But it's it's evo- certainly evocative. Um, so the part about I'd be I would be scared, I would be terrified. It, it's like I think that really sums up the emotion of my question, which is you know it's like why do I why do I struggle to know? I, I know intellectually that the universe sort of loves me and doesn't hate me you know this I think is also tied into my stage fright which I have and you know I mean it's like through performance I get over but um you know my early experience not not radically unlike Chris actually um you know as a person who was raised poor in my earliest years in particular you know my early experience was that the the world I mean so many of us have some version of this but but that the world uh didn't care whether I Lived or died, and so the way that I've carried that, and you know, worked on it, and tried to tried to translate it into something else, and tried to understand something different. And at this point, I I know for sure that that's not true, but still deep inside me, I can't lose the traces of it, and you know, nothing can bend the bond I've forged with you. That line really stood out. You know, that's I'm a parent; I have a seven year old. And that is your hope as a parent is that you you lay down that kind of confidence and security in your child, so they feel like nothing can bend the bond I've forged with you. And you know, I was very close to my mother. My father, uh, you know, left our family when I was about a year old. So I, I have less of that security with him there. And I think those are the kinds of things at the root of my my whatever you want to call my relationship with the universe.
1: Well, you, uh, you found your way to the, the, the actual, the literal meaning of this song again, cause I, I know the, the songwriter, uh, Morty Coyle is his name as the, the singer and uh, the writer of most of the lyrics for the band all day sucker, his name already like, wow.
2: Morty Coyle. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible.
1: So, uh, <laughs> But the song "Girl with the, the Girl with the Denim Eyes" is about his daughter, who transformed his life.
2: Oh wow!
6: So yeah,
1: well that makes sense. That line, "You've got my genes, but she gave you everything." And yes, there it's a. So he and the, so the mother and the father in this story are divorced, and, uh, but he's one of those people some people parenthood i think parenthood transforms everyone on yeah. the inside but some people it's so radical how much it transforms them on the outside that's that right. everyone in their life is just it was like oh well that's this person before and after that and this song is feels like a song that's very much a uh, written by someone who's in the middle of experiencing that transformation on the internal yeah. level sharing it in song and then the song becomes more powerful because over time you look back and you're like he's lived it like he laid it down in that song he said this and you look at this guy and he he's lived he lives it in fact uh, people who, who are familiar with the show and have listened to all the episodes will know that Morty Coyle, well, the last time he was on, he was talking a lot about how he and his daughter have this Instagram feed called Be and Daddy Cartoons, and every morning they they started this when school was going on. Now they just go out to the car and do it, but bef- while they were waiting to for her to go into school, they would sing along with some song uh, that... Uh, that they had practiced and film it and uh, his daughter's a great singer and he's a great, great singer. And so I, I guess all of that informs my experience of that song. Every time I hear it, that's why I kind of wanted to withhold that information just a little bit more for the song to really just be what you were making of it. But I think it's really beautiful that you found your way to the father child relationship because that's what the song's about.
2: That's really cool.
1: And in terms of how will you learn that the universe loves you more than it hates you, what does that make you think?
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting. So it's true that it's my first big transformation in life came before parenthood came in my late twenties. When I, and, and, you know, it was sort of right before that trip with Sandman, that where I transformed as an artist, first I transformed as a man. Um, and the, the main feature of that was I started to enjoy my life for the first time in my late 20s. And, you know, and why did that happen? It happened because I did a whole body of work, you know, personal work of, uh, you know, feeling a lot of hard feelings and crying a lot of tears and, and getting through to the other side. So that was satisfying and worthwhile and certainly it's, it was satisfying to enjoy my life where I really hadn't been for all the, all those years. Um, but then having had a child, I, it, I really, it really like you're talking about really transformed me again. Um, and a lot of times when I think about this question and I think about that, that deep in, that, that, that earliest, you know, elemental insecurity that I have, um, his presence in my life, um, it, it's like it's kind of like a kryptonite. and there's I'm not sure what it is if it's you know to love somebody so deeply and unconditionally what that ends up telling you about yourself. It could be that part of it. Sometimes I wonder if it's that because he's here, I feel like there's not room for me to have that doubt because it's not fair for me. To communicate that doubt to him. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I just to want to share. I'm not quite sure how this fits, but I feel like it does. So my father. His father left. Him and his mother when he was about one years old. One year old. And. I know that for him, it's something that he expressed—a feeling of worry. In fact, I, it's funny. I feel like he expressed it to me, but it's he actually wrote about it in his book, *The Dream Poet*, which he wrote <laughs> a lot of when I was, a, you know, just being born, and my brother and my mother was pregnant with my brother, and. So he wrote a lot about his insecurities about becoming a father um, as someone who didn't know his father. And he was a psychologist, too. So he was also, you know, acutely aware of all of these dynamics. Um, and And I lost him. He died when I was pretty young, in my 20s. Wow. And I just I guess basically in my life. The experience of, I guess, what I call his ghost and his continued impact on my life and the sort of the intimacy of that relationship, even though he's gone. Yeah. Is one of those things that I guess. Sort of like you showing up at the protest, it's like he spent his life worrying that he wasn't going to be a good enough father because. His father wasn't around and then when he has not been able to be around, he's been the best father I could have hoped for in hmm. not because he because he was a bad guy to have around, but just because that's the way it's been. And because I've had to I guess we've never I guess <laughs> when your dad's a ghost, you never have to fight again. Um, with him, you with mean? him, like we've never had an argument in my yeah. as an, as adults. I have always felt like he has always had my back in everything in ways that I wouldn't necessarily if he was around. I guess the I guess that's the paradox is that the thing we worry about, even if it comes to pass, the universe loves you. (laughs) right? Even in the worst case scenario, which this my my situation in life with my father is. From his standpoint, probably a worst case scenario as someone who worried that he wouldn't be able to be a good enough father. And then he absolutely wasn't able to be because he hasn't been able to be around for most of it. But even in spite of that, he still ended up not like the fear didn't come to pass. Right. The worst case scenario came to pass, but whatever you thought it meant, whatever he thought it meant didn't come to pass. So,
2: this is so interesting because it's so you talking about your father is making me so it's making me realize two things. One is that my deep insecurity ultimately has to do with the fear of not belonging. You know, as an immigrant being here, um, you know, outside of my community, um, that, you know, that plus poverty, I think it's like has. That, that is the crux of that early feeling. It's like, do I belong anywhere? Are my people anywhere? And thinking about your music, and I was actually wanted to, to tell this story that um, I, I love your music. I don't know if you know that. I think I've told you many times, but um, in particular, uh, Curmudgeon for All Seasons, I have been obsessed with over the course of the last 20 years. I don't know if you know that.
1: No, I didn't know that.
2: Oh, yeah, I really love that record. and um, And... For a couple of years, I was busking in the Boston subways and one of the songs in my rotation was Three Day Weekend. Oh, wow. I would cover Three Day Weekend. And in that song, there's the terrific line that I think stays with me more than any other. If I was half the man that came before me, I think I'd probably be half the man that stands before you. And if he was here, he'd probably disagree with me. Yeah. So I feel like in your music part of what I love about it is that this, this one of my deepest insecurities, I actually don't feel like I see it there. And I don't know if you have that experience, but that particular struggle you know, you have different insecurities, but that particular struggle for belonging or that sense of, of not knowing, I don't feel that with you.
1: Hmm. At least not in the music. That sense of, yeah, no, I've. I, I, that's what my father gave me. That is right. That's what I hear. He right. gave me a D. De- like, in fact, if there's any regret, and I don't like, it's that I feel like I was raised with too much mental health
3: in uh-huh. a way. Like I, like
1: uh-huh. m- I, I. Some might call it privilege, but I know privileged people who do not have this thing, this level sure. of confidence to that the light, that world, the world is going to work and I'm going to say what I need to say. And even if it makes people uncomfortable or makes the situation uncomfortable, whatever, like I'll get up on stage as long as I'm saying it and I'm not sitting on it, it comes out. Then that's the way I feel like we should all be. But since most of us aren't, that leads to a lot of trouble in my life. But I feel (laughs) like I got, and my, I, I was, I think a conflict between my mother and my father that she wanted me to be more realistic and my father wanted me to be mentally healthy. Yeah, as a child, and so yeah, so I do have a an insane amount of, or I don't know, it's weird, sane, insane words like that. I have a, right. I've, I have a, an amount of confidence in what in my work and in what I do that definitely comes off to some people as arrogance, and right. maybe it is, uh, but uh, it's. I'm not faking it. I'm genuinely that arrogant. Well,
2: is that arrogance though? I mean, I think arrogance is the feeling that you're better than somebody else. Yeah, I think that's different yeah. than a confidence in in knowing that you belong. I think those are different things.
1: I don't. I don't think I'm better than any. I mean, really, I don't think I'm better than anyone else. There might be some people who I think I'm better at at certain things in certain moments, but even those things, it's like, yeah, just because you can do that thing in that moment doesn't mean that you can do the thing that seems like everybody else can do, which is, I don't know, get along. (laughs) 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 And maybe that's just a weird projection, but yeah. No, I, I, I get the distinction. And it's one I've tried to explain to people and when uh-huh. i do they just say that goddamn, that's arrogant you'd explain that well, to me
2: <laughs> sure i mean and i'm not trying to say that you're you don't have arrogance i think everybody has arrogance honestly yeah. but but i but i think that particular quality is not arrogance yeah and i think and i know you do have that quality
1: so is that when you say uh i want to get us back to where we were talking about uh well about your question um and first of all thanks i i and I'd love to hear, do you have a version of you doing a three-day weekend?
2: I don't know, but oh. uh, that'd be fun to record too.
1: Oh, I'd love to hear that. Wow. That's... i work on it. Yeah, that's... Uh, we got that one right. We got that one right. Mm-hmm. So you kind of put me back on my heels a little bit because we're supposed to be talking about you and now we're talking about <laughs> me. Uh <laughs> So let's come back to your, to, to, to the question, this sense of, well, uh, we were talking about fathers and fatherhood and I'm not a parent, so I don't, I I don't know. I haven't connected that dot for you. This idea, I guess because you're the one who's creating that sense of security for your child.
2: I was just thinking this—that you, your father, who it sounds like probably was kind of in my situation, that he at some level lacked this for himself, wanted to make sure you had it. And I very much—I've been so intentional. You know, it's like I arm my little one with these weapons of uh, of owning the space that he occupies. And um, so I'm hoping he'll also—I I think he will. I mean, he does already have—you know—this quality that you have.
1: And that quality, basically, you couldn't share that quality if you didn't have it. So it just, it's one right. of those things that it creates. By sharing that with your son, you are telling the universe that the universe does love you more than it hates you, right? The, it's true.
2: And the stage is the place where I hone... That skill. You're right that it is in me, and at some level, it's kind of locked a bit. Some of it escapes, but but some of it's locked. And when I go on stage, that's where I challenge myself to to know to know it. And it's it's what I love about performing.
1: And going back to the songwriter, uh, who he's not the full songwriter. He and uh, Jordan, his co partner, or his co songwriter, Jordan Summers was is uh, is a part of all of their music but morty if you think i have that confidence <laughs> just turn it up wow. to 10 morty Coyle. and also you also have to turn up the insecurity too like he's a he is sure. a mix of both but right. he's sort of like a like a way like a like a stand-up comedian is like he turns right. he takes his insecurities in the moment and turns like he's constantly turning them into performance devices. And then when he's actually performing and singing, he is. Yeah, definitely one of the top two or three, just like pure performers I've known in my life right. who just right. uh, like, they just have a, a, a like a, whatever, a, a gear that, everyone can recognize and almost nobody can do. And so this was a, f- Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go on. No, sorry.
2: Well, this, that was the first thing I said in my response to the song that the way that song made me feel seemed like the answer to my question. It's like he oozes that quality, like you're saying. And I could just, I could just feel listening to it. It felt so reassuring just to be listening to the song because he is doing the thing that I am hungry for.
1: I can't wait to share this with him because I know it's going to both please and embarrass him deeply. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> like and uh, yeah and and, uh, and I'm also really happy because he's almost always been game to be on the show. So I know that we'll we're we got a ninety percent chance that we'll have Morty on as a guest on next week's show. And I can't wait to hear how he unpacks this. And I do hope you'll listen to that too because I think he's going to have. This is a, a three way conversation where the third part is won't be revealed until next until the following week.
2: Oh, so cool!
1: Um, but God, this is this has been great. This has been it's strange. I feel like my goal with this is to make the show about you and about uh, the musical guest or the the, the 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 songwriters and to use my personal stuff to flavor it and to, you know, to basically encourage the listeners to take this personally. But somehow this whole show feel like feels like it flipped on me in a way and I'm <laughs> very moved. I'm I'm not sure I'm I'm still I'm not sure what I'll ask in the bonus question section, but I, <clears> I do hope people follow follow us back there to check it out. Uh, before we move that way, we are gonna go out with a song from your record. Oh, was there anything else you wanted to say about that reading? I didn't want to cut you off.
2: No, no, that was, that was, that was profound. It was great. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And I'll send you that track so that you can, yeah, so that you can enjoy it. Uh, And I would highly recommend checking out uh, that record from All Day Sucker. Uh, The record is called Denim Days. Uh, Oh my God. Done. Yeah. Anything by, by, by them is is going to be some uh, mostly happy, dancey music that is really smart on every level that music can be smart. So check it out. Can't wait. But as I said, we're going to go out with a song from your record. And that song is going to be manifesto. Do you want to tell, you, you mentioned it a little bit that that's sort of your, was your new hit on the rise when, uh, when COVID hit, but do you want to tell us anything about this song before we take off?
2: Sure. Um, so I mentioned that it uh, it is a fight song. Um, it has a cool backstory. I'll try to keep it brief. I realize we've been talking for a long no, time. No, no, no. This but... is a
1: podcast. Take your time.
2: Fantastic. Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, the artists, uh, Amanda Shires and Jason Isbel, married couple. You familiar with oh, their yeah. work? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I am crazy about about them, and um, they were uh, on the podcast "Death, Sex, and Money" one time. And you know that podcast? I do not. WM It's a WMYC podcast with Anna Sale. It's really good, and so she's friends with them, and she had them on the podcast. And you know, usually a podcast is a thing you listen to after the fact, but this was one where you could call in live, like radio. And um, I just so happened to have it timed right. I was driving home to my son from work. I called in and I got to talk to them. And I asked the question that honestly was not terribly different than the question I asked today. You know, so often these, these things that we struggle with, it's like you won't stop asking the question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was about my life as a, as, a, as a foreign artist and trying to figure out my place, um, you know, as a Middle Easterner in Americana. And, um, Jason said some things, honestly, he didn't have very many interesting things to say, but Amanda really got it as a woman in Nashville, you know, like really understood the struggle, um, where there's, there's sort of, no one is making room for you and you've got to make that room for yourself. And so she had a message to me. Um, you know, she'd never heard my music before, didn't know me at all, but, um, as I as I talked about my, you know my struggles, uh, she said, "You are folk music." <laughs> um, she was trying to offer me, you know, this this confidence that I'm talking about that I'm trying to to craft yeah, that's for myself. Great. She was trying she was trying to lend me some. She was trying to lend me her confidence. She said, "You are folk music." So I started trying to write a song called "I Am Folk Music," and you'll hear in this song the, the chorus goes. Uh, I am I am I'm the poet I'm the prophet I'm the oil and the sand I am so the folk music part didn't stay but as I tried to figure out what that song was it really flowed out of me and uh, and has been my, my biggest hit so it's a backstory for this one
1: thank you for giving your attention and intention To this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, the appening with our guest Muhammad Seven, please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app, and if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store, and finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my Pop Oracle reading, where I asked... How can I remember the good parts of sad stories? The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with Muhammad7 and the Spring doing their song Manifesto. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle
6: next time they ask you where you're from you tell them i'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb next time they ask what kind of name you tell them it's the kind you're scared of but i'll say just the same and if they want who you are. Well this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. I, I am, I am. I'm the poet, I'm the prophet, I'm Menace and this music is the weapon in my hand. I am, I am, I am everything you love, and I am everyone you found next time you speak. Don't bite your tongue You can't let them keep Pretending that they're deaf And that you're dumb Sometimes the truth Will make them mad If they don't want to hear it Well that's just too fucking bad And if they make Your words a crime Write your manifesto the fabric of their minds, I am, I am, I'm a decorated sergeant in the army of the damned, I am, I am, I'm the seventh son of Abraham, no ordinary man. Remorse's dearest friend But I'm Redemption's biggest fan I am the people These are my demands All my life they told me Son, we make the rule They're your station We don't suffer for one always be an immigrant you never lose the stain but stain is what i'm made of and this country's in my